Lord, we do ask you to come speak to us in person and very personally so that we can have direct contact and instruction and love and leading from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to admit this to you that uh, since I know where we're going in the next 10 years and I know what we're going to be doing in January 1991, it's kind of tough for me to concentrate on the messages uh, up to that point. I need your prayers in that regard. Uh, But these are very important messages and uh, this one came home to me excruciatingly, personally, Friday night. As I became aware of that famous verse in Jeremiah 17.9 where it says, How deceitful is the heart, sick beyond all measure. You know, who can know it? Um, The problem that we have with objective truth is that we don't want to face it or we want to, to justify what we've done and get around it. Friday night, driving home from a church meeting, drive along the road, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I see this flashing. And I thought, is it raining? Is it lightning? And I looked in my rearview mirror. (laughs) I tell you, there is no more sickening feeling in the pit of one's stomach when he looks in the rearview mirror and here's a police car, almost called a cop car. Here's a police car behind you. So I pulled over. And I honestly didn't know what I'd done it at this point. And he sits there and lets you sit there for two, three minutes while he calls just to see if you're a serious business criminal. And then he saunters up to the car. Uh, good evening, sir. May I see your license? Yeah. I keep waiting to hear what I've done. See your registration? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Finally, I can't wait. What did I do? What, you know, what's, what's this for? May I ask? You didn't come to a complete stop back at that stop sign. Well, right away, the rebellion comes up. You know? Now, this is stupid. This is stupid. I say to him, oh, really? I thought I did. Now, what's he going to do? Oh, well, here, have a nice day. Is he going to go away? What are you going to do? That was dumb. So anyhow... He walks back to his car and said, I'll be back in a few minutes. He wasn't going to argue with me. He doesn't need to argue with me at all. Meanwhile, he sits back in his car. And you imagine when you're in this position, every car in the world that goes by looks familiar. And they all recognize you. You know, you can just hear him talking. There's a minister that has a yellow Jeep over in a... I wonder if that's him. I wonder what he's done. Oh, my goodness, ministers. They just are they're awful. Or you feel like shouting out the window, this is not for drugs. I didn't do drugs. I didn't kill anybody, honest. This is, just, this is simply an alleged minor traffic violation. You know, I'm just dying. I am dying. And all the time, I'm just beating my... Oh, this is such a poor witness of... Forgive me, God, this is awful. Well, he comes back. He says, so you ever got a ticket before? I said, yeah, years back. He said, well, let me explain to you the process. So he goes through this, like my third grade, you know. And then he goes, 
have a nice day. <laughs> Buckle up, sir. Be careful. And just goes like, like he's, so I'm driving home. Man, I'm so angry. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, great. I know I stopped. I know. You know how you did. I know I stopped. I know I did. I put my car in first gear for crying out loud. I mean, what do they call a stop? It all depends on how you define stop. Do this. Do you have to do this? And your head goes way back. Is that a stop? Do you have to do this? Is that a stop? Oh, I'm just furious, you know, looking for some way to justify myself. Looking for some way he's wrong and I'm right. And all the way, oh, I'm going, I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. I'm going to court. I'm fighting it. How do you define stop? How do you define? So I'm going home. Becky, meanwhile, is taking the boys to uh, Lyman's homecoming. They're coming in the door. I'm looking for a little sympathy, right? So they come in the middle of the room. I said, well, I got a ticket. The boys go, yeah, dad, snagged, nailed, gotcha, you know. No sympathy there. <laughs> Becky, for the first time in her life, is not helpful. I'm saying to her, Beck, honest to goodness, I stopped, I swear. In my judgment, I was stopped. And Beck says, well, Hunter, if you really think you stopped, just think of all the times you did break the law and didn't get caught. <laughs> that does not help. It's true, but it doesn't help. No sympathy there. Joel, my little nine-year-old, goes, well, Dad, just tell him what a good Christian you are, and then they won't give you a ticket. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, dear. So I'm doing this all night in bed. Oh, I can't believe I got a ticket. I can't believe $52. I can't believe I did that. I, got, I get up in the morning. I'm still mad. I'm standing there. Doing, you know, looking in the mirror, doing this thing where you turn to lift your face back up. You know, when you're past 40, you got to spend at least five minutes going like this so your face will, you know, all the elasticity is going. By the way, have any of you past 40 looked down into a mirror for any length of time? I did that last week, and I watched my face get closer to the mirror. My eyes stayed in the same spot. Oh, it's terrible. It's an awful feeling. That's another truth I got to face. But anyhow, I'm trying to punch my face back into place, you know. You know, I'm just furious, you know. And I can't believe I got a ticket. And I'm standing there, and Romans 13.3 comes to me. Oh, I hate it when God does this. Romans 13.3. Let me read it to you. It's awful. It's talking about civil authorities and how God puts them in place. And it, and it says this. <clears throat> says this. Um, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Well, do what is good. And then you will have praise from the same. Well... It's like God just said to me, look, potato head, you didn't come to a full stop. And I said, I really didn't, did I? I really need to pay. I owe the fine. As soon as I said that, I was free. I was free. I had spent all night long trying to justify myself, trying to subjectify the truth, trying to say, well, what is a stop? I mean, I mean, how long you got to set before it to stop? I mean, can't you just come to a brief stop and then go on? 
As soon as I said that, I knew that I was every bit as guilty as somebody who went through that stop stop sign at 80 miles an hour because I didn't come to a complete stop. And there was such freedom in that admission. I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to wrestle it any longer. I knew the truth, and the truth set me free. I send in the money. I owe it to them. I'm guilty. We spend a good part of our lives trying to either avoid the truth or bring the truth into our own terms so that we will not look so bad. But the very act of doing that makes us insecure. You know why? Because either this world is run in a way that makes sense or it's run in a way that is up to everybody in which we are terribly at risk and insecure. Either there is a truth or there isn't a truth. Either there is objectivity that everybody, that that, that operates the same no matter who pays attention and who doesn't, or there isn't. And we know down deep in our souls that we want to have an objective truth because it means for us security. When Galatians 6, 7 gives the universal law, whatever you sow, you will reap. Sometimes that is a horrible thing to come to grips with in our own life. But let me tell you this, without a universal law like this, we are vulnerable to every wind, every um, change in the world. And so therefore, down deep inside, we want that kind of objective truth. Beck and I noticed when we were raising the kids, we've always been very consistent, tried to be very consistent with our rules and always been together on them and so on and so forth. And when kids did this, they knew it was wrong and so on and so forth. Um, we've stuck to it. However, we have a, we have a rule in our house because, all, because both of us, all of us, want to find the objective truth that if any of our boys can come up with an argument that is closer to the truth than what we already have, then they win. And we will change our rules to what is the truth because Beck and I want the truth also. So basically what we're doing is, is raising three little attorneys that are very good at arguing. I mean, they come and present their case, you know, every time we lay down a rule. Now, there have been a few times, now that it doesn't, and you know, maybe 1% of the cases are won by the, by the visiting attorneys, but, but it, still is, it still says we want the truth more than we want always to be right. Okay. However, the times that we have given in to our kids, the times when because of their pleading and because of their nagging and because of their persistence, we have said, nah, okay, have it your way. It's not that big a deal. Their behavior becomes worse and more disrespectful than the times we have clung to them and clung to those principles no matter what they're pleading and no matter what their level of disgust. You know why? Because they don't want a world they can control. 
They don't want a world where they are the chief. They know themselves too well. One time Josh, when he got old enough, said, was, was you know, arguing around a point and so on and so forth. And, and Beck and I were both at a kind of a, a low level. I mean, fatigue has something to do with it. We were at a low level. Both of us started saying, well, okay. Josh nailed us, said, don't wimp out on me. Don't be giving in to me just because, just because uh, I've out-argued you. What will I turn out like if you do that? <laughs> See? All of us are like that. We don't want... We resent sometimes and are troubled by the idea of a God who is unwavering. But we are terribly frightened of having a God who gives in. There is objective truth. There really is. And it will be the winner every time. Objective truth is something that never goes away. Objective truth is not something we can avoid. And even though if we are very good arguers with it, if there's something in our life that's breathing down our neck and we know we ought to do it and we know we need to do it and we avoid it and we avoid it and we ought to argue it and we ought to argue it. Let me tell you something. You can do that successfully for the rest of your life, but you will never win against the truth. Cap Spence is a guy who goes here who spent some time in Vietnam. And for those of you who served in Vietnam, you will know that that expenditure of time took such a huge part of your emotions disproportionate to the chronological time you spent over there that your heart is always partly over there. You left a piece of yourselves over there. And he is still very interested in what happened uh, and what happens uh, in Vietnam. And he told the story about a American commander, an American commander who was writing a book about Vietnam and visited Vietnam some years after the war. And somehow he got together with an, a, an ex-Vietnamese general. And they were going to talk about the war together and after a few glasses of whiskey to slick up the conversation. The American commander looked at the Vietnamese general and he said, We beat you every time you came out on the battlefield. You never beat us on the battlefield. And the Vietnamese general looked at him and said, you're right. We did not have one victory on the battlefield, but we won the war. You can out-argue the truth for your life every time. But it doesn't mean you'll win the war. The truth always wins. It always comes back. And no matter how long we avoid it, it doesn't go away. It camps out on our door. And we think somehow our perceptions get so discombobulated that we think we have more freedom running away than we have freedom facing it. It is not at all true. Freedom is in facing the objective truth. It will always win. And when you place your confidence in the truth, who is the Lord, you're free to experience any reversal whatsoever. 
you can relax because the truth will always win. My middle son and some of his friends have started a Bible club in the public school that they go to. And uh, it's neat. I didn't, I didn't, uh, that wasn't my idea. It was his and theirs. And uh, it's really neat to see that going. The Supreme Court said it was okay, and so we're doing it. They're doing it. But about the second week that it was started, or for maybe at the end of the first week, uh, he came in the school, or he came in the house, Isaac did, and he said, Dad, you know what? I said, what? He said, they're starting a new age club at school. I said, so? He said, Dad, new age, that's bad stuff. And I said, Isaac, you don't have to worry about anything except telling the truth. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah, opening it up to Christian groups also opens it up to any other group that wants to have a group, and that's fine. That's the way it should be. That's America. And do you know why Christians never need to fear? Because sooner or later the truth will win. You don't ever have to worry about somebody else. Just worry about me. Am I telling the truth? It's a tremendous comfort. Do you remember the first time someone you respected, you saw somebody you respected? This was a, a question in your uh, uh, 50 Day Adventure booklets this week. Very good question. It really hit me. It said, do you remember the first time you ever saw somebody you respected lie? Boy, a memory came back. I mean... I remember the first time I ever saw somebody I respected lie. It was my mother. And I remember, I can tell you, I was five or six years old, and I was absolutely, I can tell you the scene. I can tell you the dress she had on. I can tell you how she was standing. I was so blown out of the water. See, my mother hung the moon. I mean, I just, she was the world to me. And she was on the phone with a lady who just liked to talk a lot. And she wanted to get off. And so she said, uh, look, i got something on the stove. i got to run. She didn't have anything on the stove. I knew she didn't have anything on the stove. And that day, two things happened to me. The first thing that happened was that I learned how to make excuses without hurting people's feelings and tell them lies so that I could get my way. Anytime a kid sees that, he can model it just like that. It's in our nature. But the second thing that happened to me was well beyond disappointment with my mother. My world fell apart. Because if you can't trust the person you respect most, and, and, and at a five-year-old, I mean, you don't, at, a five, at five or six years old, you don't stand there and say, well, you know, I know that she didn't really mean that. It was just, you know, mm-mm. I couldn't trust the world because I didn't hear the truth out of the person that I respected most. Now, I know that some of you, probably all of you, have had that happen to you. You've had a parent or a teacher or a pastor who you have caught in a lie. And it has done much more than create disrespect for a person. It has created a whole uneasy feeling about the world and about how trustworthy things operate and about 
how trustworthy people are. Because the other side of insecurity about how the world operates, and by the way, we, want, we have such a thirst to sense order in the world that I was reading a book this year. I really want to read this book. It's a new science. It's the new science by a physicist who, who, come out, who has come out and said that the third great science of this century, the first being relativity, the second being quantum mechanics, the third great science of this century will be the science of chaos. You see what's happening? People want to make sense out of the uh, sense of the world so much that they're beginning to see patterns in chaos. Now that seems like a um, oxymoron, it, but but I just want to show you and, and relate to you how important it is for us to see some objective order in the world. But the second point is even more important. That not only if we separate ourselves from the truth and we want to become the truth and we want to tell the truth as we see it, instead of everybody searching for an objective truth, not only does that create insecurity, it creates distance and loneliness. Because when you can't trust a person, you are isolated. You are isolated. Now let me tell you how God is the answer to all of this problem. In the first place, God is a truth in an objective sense that is always camping at our door. He is the truth that will not go away and He has made the universe in such a way that it is very, very dependable. What we reap, we sow. We may not do it immediately, but eventually everything we do will have consequences. We'll have children. We'll have offspring in our lives. And so therefore, we are put into a world that we can affect in a very marked way. But the other thing, and the thing that's even more thrilling to me, is that truth while it is not relative, is very personal. God is not some formula that we go looking for. He's someone that comes to us. In a biblical sense, the idea of to know in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is yada. And it means more than discovering some objective formula. It's a very personal relationship. Yeah, uh, Genesis 4.1 says this, that Adam knew Eve and they begat Cain. Now that's not an objective relationship. That is a very personal, intimate relationship. And so knowledge for them had something of gripping personhood, something of pursuit, something of warmth, something of love. You say, well, take a look at the New Testament. Don't they have objectivity in the Greek? Yeah, they do. But if you will read the Gospel of John, you will see that the truth came to us in the form of Jesus Christ. The Word, the most objective creation principle of reality. In John 1.14, the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Full of glory. Glory as from the Father, full of what? Grace 
and truth. Now let me show you something about truth. Most of us are afraid. We're so, it's so paradoxical. We, are, we have been so blinded by the adversary that we're afraid of the truth. We think that if we face the truth, we're going to be hurt. It is just the opposite because the truth is not only a person, the truth is a person who is nuts about you, who is in love with you. Before you ever knew who he was, he was in love with you. Full of grace and truth. Let us speak the truth in love, the Bible says. There is no cold, hard, cut his head off if he does wrong in the Bible. There's only a heart that comes after us and wants for our own good to build us up, not to tear us down. You know what? I saw this week one of the neatest things I've seen in a long, long time. I guess it was last week. I went to Winter Park to visit a lady in the hospital. And I didn't know her room number, so I went down to the information desk. And as I went down to the information desk, there were a whole lot of people standing around um, the uh, um, hallway elevator there. And they were just kind of standing around looking for somebody. So I thought, you know, there's some celebrity here, you know. So I went into the, looked at the, at the, uh, the lady in the information desk. I said, what's the deal out there? Why are there so many people out there? And she said, well, there's a father and a son who've come to pick up a mother and a daughter. And I thought, well, that's neat. It's warm. Didn't make her take a taxi. But why the crowd? And I said, so why are there so many people standing out there? And she, she was so sweet. She goes, you'll see. And so I had to stand around until I come back down. So here, you know, I join the crowd, you know, go out. This was so cool. I love this. And as I went out and joined the crowd, all of the memories of the mothers, the new mothers that I visited, and I don't do this all the time anymore, but I used to be able just to go and, and spend some time immediately after the birth of a child with a mother, you know, just talking about her and, and how she felt and the things. Well, you know what, men? That's a rough time for mothers. I mean, yes, they are very, very, very grateful to have that gift from God. But there's a whole lot of other things that are going on with mothers at that time. You feel, I mean, you've been through just the piece of meat experience of your life where you're viewed as, yeah, okay, the pregnant women, yeah, you know. And you've been through just something that tears apart all dignity and separates all of you from your, the rest of your identity from the world. You're laying there many times and your body's just going like this. You know? And you're wondering if it'll ever go, mm, again. And you're wondering if you're attractive. And you're wondering if you can cope with this tremendous responsibility that's just been given to you that the only time he pays any attention to you is when it wants to drain something from you. And you're wondering if your husband will understand if you don't have the energy when you get home or the same drives that you used to have if he will be understanding or he will put even more on you. And so I'm standing there thinking, you know, I hope this guy has some sense, and he is supportive in a building. Well, I, I hear this clapping, and I turn around, and here comes this mother in a wheelchair with her daughter being wheeled by a nurse. Now watch, in back, 
there is this guy that's got to be 6'2", 6'4", I mean huge, and his replica, four years old, got to be two feet. They have on matching tuxedos. Yes! Pink cummerbunds, pink ties, sunglasses with pink frames. Yeah! And they're walking along in back of her in step, you know, like we're the dad and we're the brother. And they take her out into an awaiting limousine that they have rented. Is that the coolest thing you've heard in a while? Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't think anything less of you. I don't care what shape you think you're in. The truth is that he loves you and that he would only come to get you to upbuild you and to show you that you are of infinite worth to him. The truth isn't something you need to run from. Even if you don't connect the truth immediately with God, even if you have something in your life that you don't think has to do with God, if it is of the truth, This morning, turn it. Face it. And be free. Would you pray with me? God, there is such freedom in saying, I did it or I didn't do it. There is such freedom in saying, I have a long way to go. There is such freedom in saying, I need help. There is such freedom in trying to not hide anymore. Some here have never yet turned and faced you as the ultimate truth of this world, the one who created it, the one who runs it. And they have been running from you in their spirits because they would like to have a life of their own, but they know down deep inside they don't want to be in control because they haven't got enough going for them. Help them this morning to turn to you and let you be God and give up their general managership of the universe. There are others who have let you be God, but not Lord who have turned to you and said, I acknowledge you, but I'm not going to let you run this thing, this ship. And then, Lord God, we've just hidden from the fact that we need to do what we need to do. Help us today to shed the load, to turn in truth, and to face whatever we've been trying to avoid, whatever we need to correct so that we can be free and we can live in the real world and not just the world that we're trying to build with our dreams and hopes. We love you, God, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.